The VPM Daily Newscast is sponsored by Kanawa Capital Management. Your financial life is unique, complex, and dynamic. Kanawa Capital Management's team of credentialed professionals has been helping its clients build wealth and confidence through personalized planning and informed investing since 1989. Learn more at cancap.com. That's K-A-N-C-A-P.com. I'm Benjamin Dolly, and this is the VPM Daily Newscast. It's been a year of unrest with the pandemic, the racial justice protests, and a very polarizing election season. And some gun dealers say it all plays a part in why background checks for Virginia gun sales have hit an all-time high this year. As Ben Pavier reports, the figures include some first-time gun buyers. April Sullivan is in her early 50s, lives in short pump with her two kids, and favors stronger gun control laws. But that didn't stop her from buying a handgun earlier this year, just in case. People are hoarding toilet paper and, you know, just acting like fools. And so that just really made us go, wow, yeah, people are, there's out of control. Virginia State Police data show firearm dealers have already recorded more than 650,000 background checks on gun buyers, nearly double the number at this point last year. It's a concerning trend for gun control advocates. A recent Stanford University study found the risk of suicide was nine times higher for gun owners than non-owners. Ben Pavier, VPM News. One Richmond City Council race could be decided by a handful of votes. In the 2nd District, the most recent unofficial results have Tavares Spinks leading Catherine Jordan by just two-tenths of a percent, or 26 votes. As Patrick Larson reports, this is well within the margin for a recount. Any race in Virginia with a margin of fewer than 50 votes, or 1% of all votes cast, is eligible for a recount. But it doesn't happen automatically in the Commonwealth. Yeah, a recount is, is, is a court proceeding. Allison Robbins heads the Registrar's Association of Virginia. She says candidates have to wait for results to be certified before asking for a recount. For Spinks and Jordan, that means Friday noon at the earliest. That's the deadline for already mailed ballots to be accepted. Local results must be certified by Tuesday the 10th. Patrick Larson, VPM News. Election officials got started on their regular canvas of local results on Wednesday. The process is essentially a quality control check of vote counts following each election. Allison Robbins, head of the Voter Registrars Association, says this year the canvas also has to account for the already mailed ballots. Those will be accepted until today at noon. We, uh, we will not have any final certification on the local level until that deadline has passed. That deadline is Tuesday, November 10th, when results will be taken up for a canvas at the state level. Those results will be certified on November 16th. In a year with lots of concerns about voting, in one city council district, the 6th district, a handful of voters received the wrong ballots. Whitney Evans reports. The incorrect ballots didn't include local races or constitutional amendment questions. That's because they were what's called federal ballots, meant for specific and rare circumstances. Somehow, about five of them got into voters' hands. The Richmond General Registrar confirmed the error, and according to ABC 8 News, some voters caught the mistake in time, but others had cast their votes. The registrar told VPM that the problem hasn't happened at other precincts. The mistake won't matter much, though, in the 6th District Council race, where incumbent Ellen Robertson has a solid lead over Alan Charles Chipman. Whitney Evans, VPM News. Richmond City Council President Cynthia Newbill is declaring victory in her campaign for re-election. She posted to social media yesterday morning thanking voters for giving her another four years in office. Newbel has represented Richmond's East End since 2009. She fought back a challenge this year from Joseph Rogers, a progressive activist and the head of education programs for the American Civil War Museum. 
Unofficial results show Newbill leads Rogers by more than 3,000 votes. Newbill was elected city council president by her peers last year after serving as the council vice president for two years. Richmond City Council member Ellen Robertson has declared victory in her re-election bid. Robertson represents Richmond's 6th district, which includes areas of downtown and the Manchester neighborhood. Robertson has been on the council for nearly two decades. In the unofficial results, she leads her opponent, progressive organizer Alan Charles Chipman, by about 2,600 votes. Halloween might be over, but there are still witches on the streets of Richmond, and they're not wearing pointy hats or flying on broomsticks. BPM News intern Clara Hazlett reports. You won't be able to know a witch when you see them most of the time. We look pretty normal. That's Brittany Williams, a behavioral coach at a local nonprofit and a self-identified witch. She brought her handmade jewelry to a witch market last weekend in Richmond. At first glance, it looked like a farmer's market. But instead of selling vegetables, vendors sold herbs and crystals, Ouija boards and resin jewelry. Williams says witchcraft is often misunderstood. There's still a lot of stigma surrounding that. I myself have been victim of like religious discrimination in the workplace. Maria Badillo, who is Williams' business partner, says witchcraft is unique to each practitioner. Her practice involves herbal healing and meditation. A, a witch could simply be someone who makes their morning cup of tea and, and that's, their, that's their magic for the day. The witch market is just one of many local events organized by self-identified witches, including yoga and food drives for the homeless. Clara Hazlett, VPM News. The election has left many people feeling like the opposing political sides are so at odds no middle ground can be found. StoryCorps and VPM have teamed up to find that middle ground through One Small Step, a project that aims to connect people across the political divide through the act of conversation. Zan McDonald, a retired librarian, and Kelly Gannon, an elementary teacher, found common ground on the subject of parenthood. Who would be the most influential person in your life and what did they teach you? The most influential person, I do believe, is my husband. We had very different backgrounds growing up. And I felt like I learned so much from him when it came to working with our children. You know, I would feel like I'd want to say something or do something. And he'd say, well, let's think about this. And he'd talk me through things at times that I think made the situation so much more manageable and cohesive for our family. So I just the leadership that he's brought to our family, I have just respected and learned a lot from him through the years. So what about you, Zan? Who has been the most influential person in your life? I would say I'm divorced, but I was married 27 years. Okay. And so I feel, too, that my husband had a lot of influence on me. But I also think it was my father. My father had a very rough time. He had PTSD from World War II. He was in a terrible airplane accident, which he blamed on himself forever. But he taught me self-esteem. And so I didn't have a great self-esteem until he started playing catch with me. Every day he'd come back from work and, and I got really good. And, and I'm small, I'm only five feet, but I was the first baseman on the varsity at my high school. And that really made me feel so good about myself. And he was amazing and lived to 95 and he flew his own airplane at 80. Oh my he, he was quite, he was quite a, a character. Um, <laughs> I tell my kids all the time, that was the greatest generation. Yes. So, do you ever just long for that generation that, again? Yeah. No, I, lo- I loved my dad and I, I like the values of that generation very much. But there were things they missed. 
one of my major, major things, as you read in my biography, is, is racial justice. Mm -hmm. So I think they missed those humane kinds of things mm -hmm. that are really coming back on us now. Mm -hmm. I also think that, yes, that was the greatest generation for the men, maybe, and the women got, you know, they had to do a lot in the home to make sure that those men did what they needed to do. And I think the women's roles stagnated. I think that's very fair to say. And I think maybe they actually played bigger roles than they've ever been given credit for. And the thing that popped into my mind when you said that you feel like that generation maybe missed some things was just the importance of relationship. Because although your dad did come home every day and build that with you, I do feel like a lot of men in that generation, for whatever reason, did miss those deep-seated relationships that we see men have now with their families. Yes. We're not going to agree, uh, not with everything, but I think we've agreed that our country's important. It's like having a child. The, our country is as a child, and we need to raise that child in the correct way. And this is the kind of conversation we all need to have. And I'm very respectful of you and encouraged that this can happen more. Absolutely. StoryCorps' One Small Step is made possible in part by the Corporation for Public Broadcasting, a private corporation funded by the American people. For more information about VPM's One Small Step, head to vpm.org slash onesmallstep. All the stories you've heard can be found online at vpm.org slash news. This has been the VPM Daily Newscast. VPM. Hi, it's Terry Gross, the host of Fresh Air. We bring you in-depth, long-form interviews with actors, directors, musicians, authors, journalists, and more. Listen to our Peabody Award-winning Fresh Air podcast from WHYY and NPR.